0: Here's an oldie but a goodie from the archives from the Side Hustle Show Greatest Hits Collection. Six figures in pre-sales in six months with no list. Welcome to the Side Hustle Show, where aspiring part-time entrepreneurs learn how to turn their side hustle dreams into reality. Because your nine to five may make you a living, but your five to nine makes you alive. And now your host, Nick Loper. Hey everybody, Nick Loper here. Welcome to the Side Hustle Show, where it's all about ideas, action, and results. A little bit of all of the above today. This is episode 126, six figures in pre-sales in six months without even having a list. How about that for results? Now, what I mean by pre-sales in this case is selling something and collecting money for it before it even exists. That's the ultimate product validation, right? You've got almost no risk. You didn't have to build the thing yet. Now, of course, you've still got to deliver and we'll get into that as well, but a very, very eye-opening episode for me. So I was introduced to my guest by Andy Drish over at the foundation. He said, Nick, you got to talk to this guy. Side Hustle Nation is going to love him. He broke all our sales records at the foundation and even broke some of our rules along the way. I'm excited to welcome John Logar from businessunleashed.com to the show. He's a professional consultant, entrepreneur, and perhaps most importantly, one of the most natural-born salesmen you'll ever hear. Now, John talks pretty quick, so I compiled all my notes and highlights and questions and scripts that he offers up into a free PDF download that you can grab at sidehustlenation.com slash 126 or through the link in the episode description of your podcast player app. Ready? Let's do it. We're talking about uh, building software businesses, building software applications, and specifically pre selling them. So, one question that I had right out of the gate is how are you selecting the businesses or the industries that you're targeting
1: for these different pre sale efforts? I guess to give you some context or some understanding, I'm a big believer in always going to a market that spends money. I don't like going to markets that don't have money to spend. So for me, businesses have to be of a certain size. A niche market has to be competitive because if you've got competitive businesses, there are pressures in that market. So businesses have got to be turning over at least 2 million plus, have between 10, 50 employees plus. They've got to be spending money on marketing in a lot of ways because companies that spend money on marketing are investing in growth. They've got to have physical assets. So it means that there's pressures into terms of investment. So, physical assets like offices, buildings, equipment, showrooms, that sort of stuff, right? Right. So, those criteria if I can formulate a target market that fits that criteria, it's very easy to build a list of targeted industries to go after. I also look for growth industries as well. So, industries that are on the incline, those industries will tend to face pressure. If a business is facing pressure, it needs to systemize. Automation is the name of the game. And I believe from with all my research and understanding over the last few years, everything is about automation. And it is really about speed of distribution and connection with the market. So for me, those selection criteria, 2 million plus, 3 million plus, you know, employees, assets, investing in, in growth, right, are all big indicators of who I would target. And that could be any niche market. My first niche that I attempted software with, by the way, I've never built a website in my entire life. I've never programmed anything. I'm not a graphic designer. So the skill sets to develop software, like user interface and all that sort of stuff, no idea, okay? There are people out there who are far better than I am. What I'm great at is finding those people and saying, hey, I need something that does this. Can you help me out? And what's the investment? Or what is it going to cost me to do that? And how can I put that in the market next year? make a profit on it. So for me, in finding an ideal market, my initial attempt at this was to go after a high value market. So I went actually into the solar industry was the first niche and also in environmental, so uh, environmental engineering. So I was doing green build construction at a commercial level, which is a fairly small market on a global level. I mean, I'm based in Australia, but I was talking to companies in Europe and the United States and, and a lot of these companies are kind of at the innovation, at the growth phase. Everybody's talking about climate change and we need to be looking at sustainable energy solutions Mm -hmm. in buildings so there's a lot of new technology and when there's new things happening in an industry there tends to be a lot of pressure that was my hallucination at the time we can call it a hallucination so (laughs) let's slow it down i wanted to ask if there was any tools that
0: you liked on just the selection criteria so like are you looking on linkedin are you looking on manta how are you finding these businesses
1: I was looking at industry reports. So, I was looking top 100 players in engineering, top 100 players in... I was going to industry associations and looking for award-winning companies in their industry. So, to me, it was very easy to find them. Go to an association website, pick a niche. Every major business niche in the world is attached to a governing body or an association that arbitrates or gives credentials to those members that are part of that association. So... There's a fantastic association in the United States called the Association of Association Executives. There's an association for associations, yeah. It has 10,000 members worldwide. Wow. (laughs) It's big. That's 10,000 niches. So there's no shortage of niches to go after. Yeah, none at all. (laughs) And in those niches, there will be several players that actually fit that selection criteria that I've shared with you. So finding them not so hard. Yes, you can go to Manta and do all that sort of stuff. One of my favorite lists, and I'm happy to share some insight here, but there's two lists. There's the Inc. 5,000 fastest growing companies list. And this is Inc. Magazine, and it is the Inc. 5,000 Fastest Growing European Companies list. The beauty of that particular list, which comes out every year... Is that it gives you the growth percentages of the industries and niches that are growing fast. So, this year, security, insurance, communication, those sorts of niches were the fastest growing niches. In Europe, it was all about construction, energy, health, all those sorts of niches were, were growing very fast. So, within those categories, there are obviously sub niches. So, health is a mass, health industry is huge. Mm-hmm. If you look at the health industry, there's probably about 500 sub niches within the health industry. Right. So throw a dart <laughs> take your pick and start, because at every level, there is a commercial entity that's attached to each of those niches.
0: Oh, that's called cool. looking at the Inc 5000 and these in- industry associations.
1: What's your initial outreach like? Is this email? Is this phone call? What does that look like? My philosophy is a, a good game is a fast game or a fast game is a good game. So I like to do things very quickly. I hate cold calling. I don't know about anybody else that's had to go through that process of trying to engage people. But what I found was, for me, I needed to create an excuse to have a connection. So I would find out who a CEO of the company was, and then I would quickly craft an email saying, hey, just basically want to know your opinion on industry trends what's happening, where the important issues are in the industry. You're a recognized leader within your market. You've won awards or whatever the case may have been. I'd just love to take five minutes of your time to ask a one question. And that one question would be, in terms of your opinion, one of the most important key areas of growth in your industry basically is what I was going after. And that would open the door up to other questions. So I would send that email and then I would literally pick up the phone straight away as soon as I've hit the send button and just dial in and say, hey, I just need to speak to Bob. I just want to make sure he got the email that I shot through. He knows about it. And then I'll generally 70% of the time I get in. And then my opening line to Bob is, hey, Bob, you don't know me from a bar of soap. But I just wanted to make sure you got the email I just sent you. And he went, no, (laughs) half the time the email never gets there. Right. So my next lead into to that would be, look, if you uh, give me 60 seconds, I can certainly let you know what this is about. And at the end of that 60 seconds, you can decide whether or not we can continue the conversation. Is that fair? And Bob will say, yeah, sure, it's a reasonable request. <laughs> so now I just let him know what I wrote in the email, which is I need to ask you a question. So then it starts a conversation. So it's pretty simple stuff. So I would do that. Now my conversion ratio to get through to Bob, and we'll call him Bob, and getting through the gatekeeper is a fun game. Mm-hmm. And, you know, that could be a whole episode in <laughs> Of itself. But for me, with the gatekeepers, if I'm trying to contact somebody specifically, I kind of act like I already know them and I give the gatekeeper as little information as possible. And I'm very, very specific. So I'm very direct. So there's a level of confidence in my voice when I take the approach. Now, 70% of the time, I'll get the CEO on the phone. Wow. The 30% that I don't, where the gatekeepers in the United States, apparently the gatekeepers, her name's Becky. Oh, it's Becky. always Becky here. Becky is always the one. In Australia, it's Karen. In the UK, it's Charmaine, right? Okay. But in Australia, Becky, good old Becky, some Beckys are very, very thorough. They're great gatekeepers. They do a great job to protect their CEOs. But generally, you can get through to them. Okay.
0: So how's that first conversation go? You you, 70% of the time,
1: you're getting through to Bob and you say, hey, I just have this question for you. Yeah, I'm just talking to people just like yourself, so I create an affiliation to the fact that I'm talking to other people of significance in his industry. I might even mention, and I wouldn't have spoken to them yet, but that I'm reaching out to certain people that this person may know or reaching out to certain companies that this person would understand, would know who they were. So I'm trying to create a slight affiliation or affiliation to, to build a level of acknowledgement of credibility, right? Yeah in my call. So, I will say, now, I'm not misleading the person because I'm speaking to his peers as well or I'm connecting with his peers. Mm. If I've connected with his peers, I'll say, look, I just spoke to Peter Johnson over at ABC Company and and he was very gracious with his time and I know that you're in the same market and you're also one of the leading people. I just want to touch base and ask you this question. So, my question will go around, look, the reason I'm asking these questions is I want to look at the significant areas that are important and I'm looking to feed back the information and look perhaps solutions that may offer some opportunities down the track, but that's not what this call is about. This call is about you and your opinions and what you think. And then just walk through some questioning. What do you like about this business? What don't you like about this business? How long have you been in this game? Number one thing, most important thing to you moving forward as an industry, where do you think your opportunities are? And they'll start highlighting those things. What are the factors that are holding you back, or where are the friction points that are holding you back from realising those opportunities? And that's where the conversation starts to really open up. So by getting into just being very fairly general, and when you ask people for their opinion, let me tell you, they're very forthcoming you know, and <laughs> more than happy to give it to you. And the key part of this thing is, I'm not going in there to say I'm going to build some software right? In fact, that word doesn't even enter my vocabulary in any of these conversations. For me, it's to be as present as I can be, to direct the conversation through questioning, so to control that conversation through questioning, and to just listen, Because you never know what can happen out of a phone call when you give people that space. It is amazing how much gold they will give you. So the purpose of my call is to to come in with that concept of a level of understanding and at the end of that, to be able to feed that back so that I'm on the right path and also to perhaps identify the area that is red flagging for them and then saying, okay, well, tell me a little bit about that and then walk through the process of asking questions.
0: So there's one company, the solar company in Australia. Yeah. Was that the one with the with the half a million dollar
1: logistics problem? No, they were a company that had a quarter of a million dollar a year problem. And this just came up out of like, hey, what's what do you see as your biggest challenge right now? Or what bothers you about your business or something? It was really weird because what happened in that phone call with the solar company is he had just got off a call to get a price for a presentation folder that he was developing for a particular niche. And he didn't realize how expensive the folder was. Like, it was quite a costly expense because of production and printing. He was looking at spending like $50,000 just on a brochure, basically, which is a significant amount of money. I was just saying, well, who's a brochure for He said, oh, it's for the for the realty industry. And I said, oh, okay. So, why are you targeting realtors? And so, well, we come in and we're developing energy-saving systems. And one of the areas is hot water systems. And say so we want to nurture a relationship. They'll refer vendors or clients to us, and then we obviously generate those clients. So we've seen success, but we're looking at building a strong relationship. And I said, so how much does it cost you to manage that relationship with real estate agents? You said, well, I don't know. I haven't really worked it out. I said, well, we know that there's $50,000 in brochures right now, and that, that was a figure that hurt. mm mm-hmm like you realize that that was going to cost you but there's 50 grand in brochures but what happens with a brochure well our guys so how many guys there's two guys okay so two guys are going to go out there and what they visit these people physically so yeah i said well how many agents are there so there's 160 agents that we've actually targeted that we are starting that relationship process with i said so how long does it take to visit 160 agents because i would imagine that's not you know it's not like they're next door Mm -hmm. some of these people are all over the city right we're talking travel time, so we're talking vehicle expenses, but we're also talking the time of the salesperson to go out there and have those conversations. That takes in the cost. And then there is the cost of managing those relationships because one of the problems was is the pricing for their solutions would change so dramatically in the course of a month, you might have two or three different price changes. So if you quoted a figure one week, two weeks later, that figure would be redundant and incorrect. So, you would have to get another price. So, this created another friction point where the person would have to call up and get another price for the actual solution. So, this was a really big problem because there was no way around this whole dynamic of managing the sales relationship with these realtors. You're just following this guy down the rabbit hole at this point. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> How much does it cost? What? And we worked it out. So we worked it out, you know, two people full-time, 50 bucks an hour, including 401k, or we have superannuation in, in Australia, you know, health and medical, there's taxes. Then you've got two vehicles that you're servicing on the road. They cost you a thousand bucks a month. So there's 24 grand a year. The time alone, the actual time cost was $4,000 a month and then so you had $50,000 on the brochures so you're already at what's that, we've got 12 so it's 48, 100,000 plus abrasions, 150,000 plus the vehicles, 170,000 plus the fact that you had to go and like there were other things that were mitigating costs. It worked out about 250,000 in costs. And I said, Imagine if there was a place where all these people could go to and actually access your information in real time where you didn't need to go and physically visit all these people, but you gave them a portal that they had physical access and it was dedicated to them specifically. Would that be useful? And he went, Wow, that's exactly what I want. He actually articulated the point to me. He said, you know, what would be really cool? Because I asked him, well, knowing that you're spending a quarter of a million dollars on this, what do you think would be better? He said, it'd be really cool if we could just send them somewhere where we could actually update that pricing and it's up to the minute. So whenever they accessed it, it was always the right price right? So they didn't have to think about it. And we could give them a system where they could put their data or the information that we require to be able to facilitate, make that easy for them. And it'd be really cool if we had a way that we could regularly update them or communicate any changes physically to them as well. Now, for those of you who are listening, what I've just described to you is a website with a back-end... <laughs> that you can update information on and you can add a autoresponder sequence to to support that whole facilitation to mitigate $250,000 of expenses. Yeah, I can build you there
0: for a lot less than two hundred fifty k.
1: Yeah, we built a portal for 35000 but the cost of that portal was about $1,600 because there was a little bit of programming in there as well. There was a little bit of support that was attached to that. So the profit was high but I said right now you're spending a quarter of a million in four years time or five years time that quarter of a million dollars is going to turn into a $1, $1. million dollars 1.2 million dollars in costs. Yeah. Is it worth investing 30 grand up front to get this nipped in the butt, which is 20 grand less than your brochures that you're about to print to get that done. You're not the technical guy, so how did you go and get this done? Okay, so <laughs> this is what happened in my scenario. I said, listen, I just want to figure something up because we might be able to significantly save some money here. I knew what the solution was once he said what he said, mm-hmm. right? Because anybody with half a brain in our world would see <laughs> that would be the solution. But it's right?
0: important to let
1: him yeah. him, it it's his idea, right? Exactly, exactly. It was his idea. So I basically said, look, if you give me 20 minutes, I just hop in your boardroom. I just want to make a quick phone call to somebody. It wasn't a phone call. It was an email. I wanted to just have a quick phone call to somebody. I just want to verify something. I can actually give you a rough idea of what it would cost you to get this fixed up, right? So all I did was hopped on an email, sent an email to – I actually sent out – hopped on Odesk, created a job description – outlining what needed to happen. So just roughly, this is what it's going to be. And I basically said, it'll be, give me an idea. So give me a range for a project price of something like this, right? Within 10 minutes, I had 16 replies, right? Well, it's Odesk, so there's always people trolling, Uh yeah? My criteria for selection was people who had done over a thousand hours worth of work, who had specific knowledge and understanding of programming. So I was very selective in my criteria, but I literally had 16 people quote me on the job within 10 minutes. I did was double the quote. So whatever I was quoted, I just looked through, scanned through very quickly. Whatever I was quoted, I just doubled the uh, price to what I would think the real price would be. Okay. Just to be just safe. To facilitate, just to be safe. And then I just sat down and thought, you know, what's a couple of deals worth to this guy in profit?
0: If you travel a lot for work or for vacation, you might be familiar with that feeling you get knowing you're leaving your space unused for long periods of time and
1: Oh, the quoted price was—I was getting between eight hundred dollars to sixteen hundred dollars. Okay, but you already told me it was a quarter million dollar annual problem. I knew it was a quarter. Co- well, he told me. Yeah, yeah. Basically, yeah. we sat there, and worked it out together. At the end of that, he was pretty much upset about it. He was deflated mm-hmm. because he, all I did was just—I mean, there's an open wound. What, gonna, <laughs> what are you going to do? You <laughs> so might as well just scratch bleeding it. Bleeding yeah. neck problem. Yeah, yeah. Just keep scratching it away. You know, stick your finger in there. <laughs> so, in that process. In that 10 minutes, I roughly had an idea of how much it was going to cost uh, for me to facilitate. And one of my criterias was the fact that we could deliver the solution within at least four weeks. Okay. Right? So I just wanted to know that we can get this done in a month, right? Mm-hmm. Because he was shelling out in that month, he was going to be shelling out $25,000 right, in costs. Okay. Yeah. So I've got the feedback and then not more than 20 minutes after that, i would made a phone call to a person just to verify a couple of coding issues around internal spreadsheeting with number changes and stuff like that, because I just wanted to know. But all up, the project was $2,400. I quoted 30,000. I said 15 upfront and then 15 on delivery. Okay. Wow. That's a nice margin. Yeah, that wasn't bad for an hour's work. <laughs> <laughs>
0: um, <laughs> not,
1: <laughs> not bad at all. Not bad at all. Facilitation in that, and there was project management involved. And now here's the funny part of this story, Nick, just to sort of cap this off at how ridiculously simple this was. These were the third-party tools that we used to develop this product, right? Essentially we developed a niche portal for the real estate industry specifically. We used a program that a lot of people may or may not be familiar with called Optimize Press. Okay. Right? as the front end. Then we used another product, which is a free product plugin called S2Member to manage the process. We branded it for the realty industry in that city that this company was in. So it was exclusive to them. We then designed the back end, which was providing them the method to be able to utilize the system. So it was an easy process. Essentially, it was just a series of forms that I had to fill out. So it made it easy. We did a step one, step two, step three, press the buttons. So we made that the internet was very basic, very easy to, to follow. It gave people exactly what they were looking for. We put pricing structures in there that were changeable. Basically, it was an Excel spreadsheet. We used Microsoft Lifescribe for the PowerPoint presentation that we embedded into the back end okay. when they signed up. And all we did was brand the portal. The only marketing for this is we actually created a business card that gave them a private membership to this. When they opened the back end, we had, it was a responsive theme. So we had a Little download this button on your iPhone or your Android, where you can bookmark and access it from your screen. So all we we'll would do is open up the system. They could log in and access all the information from any portable device. And MailChimp was the autoresponder service that was connected to it. So it was pretty cheap to build. And the only real cost was in the programming for the price-changing software. And then I created a three-minute video on how they actually could change the price. That was it. So that was the components, Optimized Press, S2 member, MailChimp. And then somebody came in and put some Excel stuff in there so that I could embed it into the back end. They could change. And that was basically how they managed the process. And everybody's happy. Everybody's happy. So that took less than six days to build. Oh, so, was, but you promised him a month. So we... yeah, yeah, I promised a month. Now, here's the silly thing. And this was just me. I'm thinking, man, I quoted this guy. Let's get it to you at the end of the month. And I've got the thing sitting here now ready to go, <laughs> right? And, like, if I go back to him tomorrow and say, Hey, it's done, he'd be sitting there going, Man, I paid 30 grand. He had this done in six days. Yeah. Right? So to raise a, little, um, raise a little eyebrows. Yeah. Well, this is just me. That was just my thing that was going on in my head. So, what I did was I held on to it for another six days and then said, Hey, got the beta version ready to go, but we can actually start using this now. So, it was kind of a under promise over deliver scenario. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, but here's the thing that system that we put together made within the first Two weeks of him actually utilizing the system, it made 30 grand for him in two weeks. Wow, that's awesome.
0: So it paid for itself in two weeks.
1: Well, today that particular system is averaging about 100 grand a month. Wow, that's great. from that solution. So yeah.
0: With that in mind, do you think you undersold it as doing
1: as a one time thing versus kind of the recurring SaaS model? If you look at it now at face value, yes, I did undersell it, but it's not what I was thinking was. For me, it was like, For me, it's like, here's the costs. What do I want to make on this as a profit? The second piece of software, I put it back in and support so people actually paid for support. So the solution that I solved there was a $450,000 problem. And then in there, because there was a hosting and database, and then there was security protection and all those sorts of stuff that was involved, and plus there was an element of training. the price point was higher. But the back end was $1,000 a month in support, which was basically attached to a help desk that was attached to a developer that would do on-the-spot quick changes. So it was only costing me $15. to. Well, it was $50 for the developer, and I was paying $50 for the security and hosting. So my cost was $100, but my profit was $900. And that software now has been instigated now for 18 months. And in that 18 months, there's only ever been two support tickets. Wow. Yeah,
0: And you've done this half a dozen different times in different <laughs> industries, different markets. It's like, yes. so just fascinating stuff.
1: But I did follow the process of, I mean, I joined the foundation to understand development of software. Mm-hmm. That was my thing. I didn't know anything about software. I didn't realize in my stupid, well, I should say my ignorance, ignorance is bliss, <laughs> but in my in my ignorance, in my day job, in terms of facilitating solutions from an agency point of view in my consulting world, all I was doing was outsourcing solutions. I was basically playing the middleman, finding a contractor to facilitate the work for the client. This was no different. All I was doing was finding a developer or a software, a person who had a skill set to deliver the project. Right, brokering deals. It was brokering a deal, basically. So in this mindset, out of the seven products that I built, two of them were SaaSable products. One of them, I did SaaS and sell. And now I'm on to a third SaaS project, as we're speaking right now, I'm in the middle of a pre sell And a third SaaS project that I think is going to be fairly significant, but I have a feeling it is anyway, it's looking fairly promising right now. My take was find the problem, articulate it as elegantly as possible. So this is the idea is to to create the magic bullet scenario. People will buy the magic bullet. If it solves a problem in an elegant, simple fashion, it addresses the issues to gain the benefit, whether it's saving money or making money or whatever the issue is, or saving time, which is a big issue as well, then people will buy it. And the other thing is, is every idea I come up with tends to fail. The beautiful thing and in taking the concept of the stuff that I garnered from learning with the foundation was let the market come up with the idea.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Let them, like in this case, he told you the problem and then you you kind of yeah. know where you want to steer him because you already kind of know in your mind, but let it come out of his mouth.
1: The last thing I want to do, I actually, I mean, I say this a little bit tongue and cheap. I want to be a little bit of a dummy. I want to be naive in this process because I want to allow that person to – if you give people that space – they're so intimate with what's going on, they know in half the cases what the solution or what a potential solution should look like. Mm -hmm. They've already got the kind of, because they're dealing with that problem or those issues all day long. And so they're sitting and saying, but this is just the way we handle it now, but it would be really cool if we found a better way of doing this. And they find themselves in moments where they've asked those sorts of questions, they've had meetings with people talking about the very thing in terms of, well, how do we solve this? What can we do? But because they get caught up in the day-to-day, they never take care of it. So in the long what happens is they continue to work a poor structure incurring costs because that's just the way that we do it. Historically, this is the way that it's been. But as they grow, when that pressure mounts, then the problem becomes greater and the greater the problem becomes, the more attention is paid on it. Then it's like, well, what, you know? how can we fix this? Yeah. Yeah, but so that's essentially what happens. Any rule of thumb on on pricing these different solutions? For me, it's on value. So worst case scenario would be one in ten. So, if something is going to save you half a million dollars, then you can probably sell it for 50 grand a year. Okay. Four grand a month for a half a million dollar saving. Yeah. You know, it's worth it, 50 grand. Yeah, so, totally. the rule of 10 is, is a common rule. Okay. I've often asked the question, what would you pay for that? And they give me this figure, which generally is 50% more than what I would have charged. <laughs> okay. You know, and then I'll say, well, I'll tell you what, I'm happy to let you have it for that.
0: Yeah. That's, <laughs> we got a deal. Press R to four yeah, copies. Yeah. <laughs> yeah you, hold, you know, I'll hold the paper. You hold the pen. John, thanks so much for joining me. I think this is a really fascinating one for all of Side Hustle Nation. What can come out of these different conversations and you just, you never know, let somebody articulate their problem and go about building a a solution for them. So let's wrap things up with your number one tip for Side Hustle Nation.
1: Listen very, very carefully. If you're out there trying to build or create something, spend time in that market. If you're going to open conversations with people to really understand your customer, make sure you keep in touch. Make sure you engage them more than once. This is a mistake that a lot of people make in developing software. They don't speak to their customers often enough. Every program that I've built has always come from the communication and the adjustments and the understanding from a customer's perspective. So know your customer well. And at the same time, always validate. Don't go building ideas, dreaming that there may be one day a customer that will pay. Validate as quickly as possible. If you have a buying customer and they're willing to pay and give you money in your bank account before you develop an idea, you know you're onto something. I love
0: it, everyone. It's businessunleashed.com. John, thanks so much. And we'll catch up with you this weekend.
1: Nick, thank you. It's great to talk to you. And yeah, looking forward to a drink at the bar. Hey, it's 2023 Nick here
0: again. That was some vintage side hustle show from 2015. And it's an episode I refer back to quite a bit for John's idea extraction process. Really cool stuff. A few important notes and updates. John mentioned Odesk that is now Upwork.com and his site BusinessUnleashed.com is still active, but more recently I've seen him over at ConsultingUnleashed.com if you want to go check out some more of his stuff. If you're new to the Side Hustle Show, thank you so much for tuning in. I think this is a great example of some of the gold that's buried deep in the archives at this point. And while I'd love for you to go back and binge on hundreds of episodes, I also understand that might not be the fastest path to get you where you want to go. So what you can do instead is get a personalized playlist. All you got to do is go to hustle.show, answer a few short multiple choice questions, and I'll build you a custom curated playlist based on your answers to those questions based on what I think are going to be the episodes that are most relevant and most impactful for you. So you can add those to your device, you can learn what works, and you can go forth and make some more money. Once again, that's at hustle.show. Thanks so much for tuning in. Until next time, let's go out there and make something happen. And I'll catch you in the next edition of the Side Hustle Show. Hustle on. Is there a more dreaded question than what's for dinner? Meal planning and eating well to hit your nutrition goals doesn't have to be complicated. Our sponsor, Factor, makes it easy by sending delicious, ready to eat, chef crafted, dietitian approved meals right to your door. Every week, you've got over 35 different menu options to choose from, including keto, calorie smart, vegan and veggie options, and more. Some personal favorites of ours so far have been the garlic mushroom chicken thighs and the Indian butter tofu. These are restaurant-quality meals ready in just two minutes. No prep, no mess. It's the perfect easy button solution for busy side hustlers and couples. And it's not just dinner either. Factor has nutrient-packed snacks, smoothies, breakfasts, and more. And hey, plans change, which is why you can scale up or down your meals or pause or reschedule your deliveries anytime. Head to factormeals.com sidehustle50 and use code sidehustle50 to get 50% off your first box and two free wellness shots per box while your subscription is active. That's code sidehustle50 at factormeals.com sidehustle50 to get 50% off your first box and two free wellness shots per box while subscription is active. Big thanks to Factor for sponsoring the show.